Well, good morning. Uh, when it comes to, um, I'm, I've, I have a question for you. When you hear the word apostle, right, just that word, throwing it out there, what comes to mind? Is it Peter, Paul, the disciples? Maybe the word apostle conjures up thoughts of someone who is super spiritual, right? Or someone who is faith-filled. Maybe someone who is entrepreneurial. Or perhaps the word apostle conjures up, you know, thoughts of a shady prosperity gospel preaching televangelist. (laughs) When you think about it, words build worlds. So every word that we use has a ton of assumptions and baggages, uh, baggage that follows it around. And unfortunately, apostle is one of those words. So we might as well start off uh, this message and let the cat out of the bag, right? Let's start off by really tackling what everyone might be thinking, or at least partially thinking, when you hear the word apostle. Here's a funny article that I'll read to you about this. All right, uh, this is from Miami, Florida. As long as the summer stretch gets underway, local prophet evangelist apostle healer David Backer's accurate prophecy average, APA, is hovering just above 300, edging out all the other prophesiers to take the lead within the charismatic movement. Going into Sunday's prayer and healing service, Backer was still hitting, uh, sitting at a still respectable 292 average, but he had a strong showing at the service to overtake two other apostle healers and take the number one spot. According to several in attendance, Backer stepped up to the microphone and prophesied boldly that a local woman who was having some kind of trouble in her life, which turned out to be true, setting the tone for an impressive showing. But trouble brewed in the second hour of the meeting as Backer got up to prophesy that Jesus would return before he finished his sentence. But was immediately proven wrong. I got a little too excited and swung for the fences, Backer said in a post-service interview. Once in a while, you just want to let one rip, you know? <laughs> Still, <laughs> I can't keep a straight face. <laughs> okay, uh, it's, it's obviously a parody, right? Okay, uh, Okay, still, Backer redeemed himself with a walk-off prophecy, claiming that someone in the congregation was struggling with finances, which prompted everyone in in attendance to begin weeping over the stunning accuracy of such a claim. (laughs) If Backer sorry guys, one more paragraph. If Backer continues his hot streak, he may overtake modern Pentecostalism's heavy hitters to set the record for best APA in a single season, which currently sits at 329, an incredible accuracy rate of almost one in three. Okay, this is obviously a parody article. Right? It's a little bit over the top, and I'm sure some of you are like, is this real? Is this not? And uh, I couldn't hold it in the entire way. But this parody article, the reason I wanted to start with this is, is because it really reveals some of the baggage that this word carries with it. And when we think about the series that we're in about callings, these words, right? Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, these are words that often... Uh, depending on our background, whether you are, you know, whether you grew up going to a Baptist church or a Pentecostal church or no church or whatever other church, oftentimes words like these will bring up baggage. 
So during this series, what we want to do is we want to unpack these words from a biblical worldview, right? Looking at the scriptures, opening up the scriptures. We want to see not what our culture or what people have possibly misinterpreted or added their own extra interpretation onto these words uh, for some reason or the other. We want to actually, instead of doing that, we want to look at the, the, the scriptures and unpack what these words mean. So today, we're going to be looking at the word apostle. So when we hear the word apostle, I want to clarify what we're talking about and what we're not talking about, okay? So when we reference the word apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher, we're merely referencing what it says in Ephesians 4, right? We're talking about the callings that Paul wrote about in Ephesians chapter 4 when he used those words to describe ministries or functions, What we're not talking about when we use these words, we're not talking about special anointings, okay? We're not talking about particular offices that individuals hold. We're also not talking about uh, your occupation or spiritual gifts, despite what's been uh, widely accepted. Here, let's put it this way, okay? Occupation and vocation can be viewed as a ministry assignment, okay? These can be viewed as a ministry assignment. Spiritual gifts are a part of our equipping in how we serve uh, the body of Christ. But calling, and calling is what we're going to be referencing in these words, Uh, this is all about personal design. And this calling is the focus for our message today and our series over the coming weeks. So most importantly, uh, more than seeing yourself through the lens of someone who has an apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, shepherding, or teaching calling... Okay, more than any of that, and as much as this series, we're going to be focusing in and looking at these words, but more than seeing yourself through those words, okay, first and foremost, we need to understand and we need to see ourselves as God sees us. And God doesn't see us first and foremost as having or not having an apostolic calling or an evangelistic prophetic or any of the other callings. That is not how God first and foremost views any of us. God, first and foremost, views us as his beloved children, right? That's the beginning and that's the end, right? So if you leave today feeling, oh, but I don't have that apostolic calling, you know, Daniel described it, I really want it, I thought I had it, but I didn't have it, and, or maybe it's the other, I was, oh, I'm, you know, I have the shepherding calling, I can't believe it's like, you know, such lower than this one, and, and, and you, we may have thoughts like that, right? And if you have thoughts like that, you're missing the point. Or you're missing the point because first and foremost, we need to see ourselves as God sees us, as his beloved children, loved, period. That's the beginning, that's the end. But as we continue to run the race of faith that God has called every single one of us in, right? As we continue to cultivate a relationship with Jesus and spend time in the word of God and get in a life group and worship together here on Sunday. As we grow in our faith and in our relationship with the Lord, what happens is we will begin to step in and discover that unique calling that God has designed us to be, right? So if if this is your first time here, right, or maybe you haven't been to church in a really long time, then I want you to hear this message, you know, listen to it, But really, first and foremost, understand that more than this, you are a beloved child of God, and that's what's most important. 
as we step into Ephesians 4, and if you have your Bibles, let's actually go and, and open up to Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Uh, but as we get ready to read through this, let's not forget what God says in 1 Corinthians 1. Uh, you know, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Right? So as you and I are called, and we're the called ones, and, and we are called into this life that God is uh, leading us into, let's discover maybe the unique um, calling that he has placed us on. All right, so, so let's, uh, and, and calling us to step into. So let's look at Ephesians 4, starting from verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Until we all reach unity in the faith and into the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body knitted and fit together by every, um, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. So today we're going to be looking and examining the callings here by starting with the first one on the list, which is apostles or those with an apostolic calling. So what is Paul talking about? What does it mean to have an apostolic calling? What does it mean to be an apostle as he talks about here? Well, when you look at the word apostle uh, and, and you kind of look at the definition around what it is, it really means this, one who is sent on mission, right? It's pretty simple. An apostle is someone who is sent on mission. So when you look at the apostolic age of the New Testament church and how the New Testament church was birthed, right, we see that there were 12 disciples that Jesus trained and apprenticed during his ministry, right? These were apostles, Right? These are apostles. Remember, apostles are individuals who are sent on mission. And when you look at Acts 9, we see another apostle was added onto the 12 disciples when Paul was called to serve as an apostle to the Gentiles. Right? We see that when Paul on the road to Damascus met Christ. So these apostles in the New Testament played a fundamental role in the way that the, the church, the early church, was birthed. They also played an eternal role in the kingdom by living into their unique calling and function that God had called them to. So when we think about this New Testament apostolic age that we read about here and that we, that we see as we read through the New Testament, we see that these apostles, right, these 12 plus Paul were set apart um, really for three reasons. Number one, they were selected directly by Jesus himself. Right, the apostles here, they were selected by Jesus himself. Uh, they saw Jesus. They saw the resurrected Jesus. Right? They were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus. And lastly, they performed signs and miracles. So when we look at these apostles during the apostolic age, they all fit and they all meet these three criteria. 
Now, these men and their contribution to the world, right, we need to remember them, we need to respect, uh, because they, they really paved the, the way of the New Testament and for the church today through their blood um, and, and in the calling that, they have, that, that God called them into, right? These apostles of Jesus, uh, they were apostles, right? And we need to remember them as such. They were given to us, they were called to a specific time and place and calling, right? Those were the apostles as we read about in the apostolic age. But during this series, when we read the word apostle, we're not talking about that. Instead, we're looking at the lowercase a apostle, right? And when you look at the New Testament and what that word apostle meant, that lowercase a apostle, we see that that word was also used widely not just for the apostles that we read about, but broadly for those who weren't considered apostles as well. So when you look at that definition, another definition of apostle in the New Testament, right? Lowercase a apostle is messenger, right? That's another way, right? So the first definition was, right, an apostle is someone who is sent on mission. And and that's still true. But the other way that you could read the word apostle is really it's synonymous with messenger, And that word messenger was used more widely and in a general sense. So if you look at Philippians 2.25, we read this, right? But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger, right? That word messenger is the same word apostle in the Greek that you see when it actually says apostle in other places, Right? It's, a, it's the same word, it was just translated in English a little bit differently. Right? It, because it's used not necessarily in the sense of the apostolic age, but more in the sense of a, of a broader sense of the messenger. Right? You look at 2 Corinthians 8.23, we see it as well. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker for you. As for our brothers, they are the messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So when you look at Acts 14, 14 and onward, we see that the word apostle, right? That word apostle is actually used to refer to Paul and Barnabas, right? Now think about it. Barnabas did not meet those three criteria that we talked about. Barnabas was not an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. He was not a part of the original group of apostles, but he still functioned as an apostle, right? He functioned as a messenger, even though he didn't possess all the markings of the apostle as we initially defined it. So when you look at Barnabas, I mean, he accompanied Paul, right? He was the sent out one, right? He was sent out. He was on mission. He went on missionary journeys. He, he called people to God. He, he called people to come around and, and hear the gospel. And, and he helped establish churches during the first century, right? I mean, this guy, Barnabas, who didn't meet those three criteria of the apostle, he was still considered an apostle. He was a messenger, Right? Because when we look at the New Testament, this word apostle and what Paul is talking about here, it's much more than individuals who meet those three criteria that I mentioned at the beginning. Apostle here and what we are talking about here in this series is this idea of a messenger. Right? So my question for you today, and I think this during the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at these apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. Right? And my challenge to you is during every single message, and if you miss one of them, obviously you can listen online or on the app, 
right? I wasn't here last week and that's what I did because I wanted to make sure that I was caught up and, and just continuing to journey along as a, as a faith family that we're, we are, right? But during these next five weeks, I want you to, as you listen to this message, I want you to ask the Lord and even in prep, even right now, right? Under your breath or as you're preparing to come here, really ask the Lord, Lord, am I an apostle? Do I have an apostolic calling? Do I have an evangelistic calling? Do I have a prophetic calling? Do I have a shepherding calling? Or do I have the calling of um, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, or teacher? Right? Do I have one of these callings? Because God has given every single one of us one of these callings. And that's why I started with this whole idea of the baggage. Right? I don't want any of us walking around and be like, oh, I'm an apostle. Right? Apostle Daniel. Right? That's, that's my name, Apostle Daniel. And, you know, and, and, and Len is Apostle, Apostle Len. And I mean, no, that's not what we're talking about here because there's so much baggage that comes around it. But rather, if we ignore this, because one of the things we do is, right, we're like, oh, there's so much baggage. I'm just going to, I'm just not even going to study it. Because so many people have abused it. I'm just not even going to study it. I'm not even going to think about it. Hey, when you do that, you're actually choosing to ignore much of the way that God has designed you and much of the way that he has uniquely called you, right? We are ignoring God's fingerprint on our lives when we throw all this out, right? So do we, are, are we all on the same page here uh, as to what we're doing? So this is not just let's sit back and listen. No, I really want you to actively engage and, and pray, right? And pray, Lord, is this me? Do I have this calling? And if so, what are my next steps, Okay. So when you think about the word apostle, right, or you think about this apostle that we have been talking about, this idea of a messenger, you know, do you have an apostolic calling? Well, are you an entrepreneur? Are you an administrator, a consultant? Are you, you know, think about it. Who are apostles today? Entrepreneurs often have that calling, right? Missionaries, church planners, Consultants, anyone who really, regardless of the specific job title, anyone who loves to engage and accomplish the tasks and the vision that God has set before us, right? Anyone who loves helping others understand and live out their calling, anyone who loves starting new things, catalysts, right? Anyone who loves thinking about the new, if you, if you love thinking with the big picture in mind and you're thinking about ways to grow, and you love being sent out and you love sending others out, obviously within our context with the gospel, but, but outside of the church, you just love starting things. You just love going out and telling people about a new, a new vision or a new idea and, and, you just, and people will rally around you. I mean, there's one thing about just saying it and no one listening to you and there's other, you know, there, there's some of you who will say things or share ideas or rally people and people will just naturally follow you then maybe if that's you, you have an apostolic calling. Those who have an apostolic calling love going to the riskiest of places, even where, uh, when, where the gospel can't go. I love this, I love this quote from C.T. Studd. Uh, this, this really explains the heart of an apostle. Some want to live within the sound of the church and chapel bells, but I want to run a rescue mission within a yard of hell. <laughs> right, that's... Whether you agree with that or not, that's the heart of someone who has an apostolic calling. So if you read that and you're like, what? 
And maybe there's some of you who read that and you're like, yes, 100%, totally, right? And you're like, all in. I mean, maybe you have that apostolic calling. So now that we've described what uh, an apostle is or someone who hasn't, or, you know, what it looks like for someone to have an apostolic calling or a role within the church, maybe you're still unsure. Well, let's look and open up to Nehemiah. Uh, because what we'll do is we'll actually walk through the life of Nehemiah in a few chapters here. And as we look at the life of Nehemiah, perhaps those descriptions, you're still unsure. But let's look at the heart of Nehemiah. And maybe Nehemiah is someone that you've always resonated with. Or maybe you'll resonate with him as we read this. Then perhaps you might have an apostolic calling. So let's look at Nehemiah 1, uh, starting from verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of uh, Hakaliah. During the month of uh, Chislev in the 20th year, when I was in the fortress city of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. Right? So this is the context of what's happening. They said to me, the remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Right? So uh, Nehemiah is getting this message Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned. So he's receiving, it's not like he had Twitter and he could see what's happening in an instant or in a moment. I mean, he, he had the, me- a messenger came over to him, right? And he heard, he heard what happened that Jerusalem's wall was broken down and its gates had been burned. So when I heard these words, verse four, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of the heavens. And we see that he begins to pray here. Well, let's skip to verse 10. They are your servants, right? So this is his prayer. They are your servants and your people. You redeem them by your great power and strong hand. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today and grant him compassion in the presence of this man. At the time, I was the king's cupbearer. Right? So you see his heart. He hears what happened, and you see his heart for change and how his heart was broken in this way. And then we see that um, as much as he, you, you heard his heart and you heard his prayer, uh, we see that he was the king's cupbearer. Right? So if you look at 2, chapter 2, verse 1, we, let's read on. During the month of Nisan, in the Nisan, that's funny, Nisan. <laughs> uh, Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was set before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had never been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, why are you sad when you aren't sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Well, I was overwhelmed with fear and replied to the king, may the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king asked me, what is your request? So I prayed to the God of the heavens and answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried, so that I may rebuild it. The king and the queen seated beside him asked uh, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you return? So I gave him a definite time and it pleased the king to send me. So as we can see in these verses, Nehemiah, someone who has... Uh, you know, he, he is an individual who had an apostolic calling. We see that Nehemiah was burdened by vision. Does something ever burden you? 
like it burdened Nehemiah? We see here in these verses that Nehemiah is told by someone else about the problem at hand and Nehemiah became so deeply distressed that he mourned over this burden for days by prayer and fasting, right? We see that his master, King Artaxerxes, even noticed and could sense this burden that Nehemiah had. So as Nehemiah prayed for favor with the king, and as he couldn't take that anymore, I mean, Artaxerxes gives him permission, permission and blessing to send him out. So we see this, right? I mean, this, this burden that Nehemiah had wasn't Nehemiah's burden. It was a burden that God gave him. God broke Nehemiah's heart for the thing that broke his own. I mean, imagine if we lived and operated in this way. I mean, regardless of whether or not you have an apostolic calling in your life, right? You know, just put that aside. Imagine if every single one of us lived and woke up every day and asked the Lord, God, I pray that you would break my heart for the things that break yours. And what would change in our lives if we all prayed that and said, God, I, I, I know I'm, I'm thinking about this and I love this and you know all these things are on my plate, but, but God, I just pray that above all else, that you would begin shaping my heart and breaking my heart for the things that break yours. May I love what you love. May I hate what you hate. Break my heart for what breaks yours. I mean, imagine what would happen if every single one of us lived in that manner and prayed that prayer and even wrote that prayer on our bathroom mirror. So that was the first thing we saw when we woke up. Now let's think about this for a while, right? Nehemiah, this individual who has an apostolic calling, he was the king's cupbearer. Now don't think about a king's cupbearer as a servant because king's cupbearer, the cupbearer of a king, by definition of that role, I mean, you had to be a risk taker. And even if you didn't like risk, you would have had to live into, and, and every day you had to take risks knowing that your life was at stake every time the king sat down for a meal. Right? So Nehemiah wasn't some servant here. He was a risk taker as the king's cupbearer. So even though Nehemiah, I mean, think about this, right? Even though Nehemiah, as the king's cupbearer, I mean, think about it. He probably didn't have a big personality. Things couldn't be about himself. He, he probably wasn't charismatic or, or had a lot of charisma in any sense. Like a lot of times we assume, oh, those with apostolic callings have so much charisma that everyone rallies around them. Right? But Nehemiah wasn't like that. Instead, he was a risk taker. And we see that as another aspect and side to those who have an apostolic calling. So we see here, right? Nehemiah first and foremost was burdened by this vision, but we then see in Nehemiah two, let's look at verse 11. Uh, we see that Nehemiah surveyed and evaluated this vision, right? So verse 11, chapter two, verse 11, after I arrived in Jerusalem and had been there three days, I got up at night and took a few men with me. I didn't tell anyone what my God had laid on my heart to do for Jerusalem. The only animal I took was the one I was riding. I went out at night through the valley gate toward the serpent's well and the, and the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. I went on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but farther down it became too narrow for my animal to go through. So I went up at night by the way of the valley and inspected the wall. Then, heading back, I entered through the valley gate and returned. 
after three days in Jerusalem, we see, it's, it's interesting here, that Nehemiah still hadn't told anyone about his plan after he arrived, but rather he wanted to survey the task from top to bottom and develop a plan of action to rebuild, right? So the vision is starting to take flesh. And then we see in chapter uh, 2, verse 16, right, the very next verse, we see that Nehemiah rallied people to the vision, right? He evaluated the vision, he surveyed the vision, and then he rallied people to the vision. Verse 16, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, for I had not yet told the Jews, priests, nobles, officials, or the rest of those who'd be doing the work. So I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's walls so that we will no longer be a disgrace. I told them how the gracious hand of my God had been on me and what the king had said to me. They said, right, think, look at this, right? He has a vision, burdened by the vision, arrives, evaluates what the current state is, and then he shares the vision as someone who has an apostolic calling. We see that he shares the vision and look at the result, right? Look at what happens after he shares the vision with them. They said, let's start rebuilding, right? We see that response. We see that positive response, that affirmation of his calling, right? It's not, you can't just say, oh, I think I have an apostolic calling and you follow the steps of Nehemiah. No, I'm going to there's, there's a vision that God has given me and I'm going to tell people about it. I'm going to rally people around it. And if no one listens and everyone's like, yeah, well, whatever, then maybe that's not your particular calling. doesn't mean that vision that you received wasn't right, but maybe you were called to support and you were called, to, called into a different calling in that way, right? So we see that. That's a really important fact here that there's this response there's affirmation of this calling when they said, okay, well, let's do it then, right? Let's do it. It's amazing, right? It's amazing that after Nehemiah, right, someone who has this apostolic calling, after he shares this vision, it's amazing that the people are way more jazzed up about, their, uh, you know, about this vision and the plan than they were about their current state, all the work that was in front of them their problem. They weren't worried about that. They were instead motivated by this vision, right? So this is what we mean when we say that apostles have the gift of faith. Those who have an apostolic calling have gift of faith, right? They, they have this ability to encourage and inspire us beyond our fears. Do you know someone like that? Are you that way? I mean, the remnant, these individuals here could have been scared, depressed, could have been like, oh, Nehemiah, thanks for your great advice, but no. But no, they're rallied, they rally around, and they move forward. So as an apostle, we see uh, all of this, but we also see how Nehemiah actually goes and leads the people to execute the vision, right? I mean, verse 19, when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they mocked and despised us, despised us and said, what is this you're doing, right? Are you rebelling against the king? I gave them this reply. The God of the heavens is the one who will grant us success. We, his servants, will start building, but you have no share, right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. Right? We see here that Nehemiah speaks truth at every distraction. And he says no at every turn because he knows the vision that God has called him into. Right? So think about this. I mean, Sanballat... These guys here are trying to oppose him. And in the course of us living into our callings, right, in the course of us 
developing our relationship with God and stepping out in faith. And there are some of you here who all you do is come here on Sunday. Right? And that's, that's better than not coming at all. <laughs> and, and maybe you, you're taking the next step and you're in a life group. And you're participating in a life group. And maybe if you're in those two instances and, and you're attending occasionally and, and, you're, and you're maybe participating in a life group and you're sitting here and you're like, but I don't know what calling God has placed me in. Perhaps you don't know because you have not gotten your feet dirty. Because you have not stepped forward. Because one of the things about these callings, as we'll discover, is we're not gonna, you're not going to sit on some mountaintop and be like, God, I'm just going to pray until you reveal and give me a word as to what my calling is and what is not. I mean, sometimes God reveals in that way, but a lot of times we just need to serve. Why do we serve? Not because any human being asks you to serve. Right? Jesus said, hey, I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give, his, to give my life as a ransom for many. So we serve in the church, not because there's a need. We serve in the church because that's what Jesus did. And if we want to grow in our relationship with Jesus, shouldn't we do what Jesus did? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, sometimes we feel like we're guilted or shamed into serving, but that's not a reason to serve. Because inevitably, the need gets met or someone else is doing the job. No, we're doing it because this is the life that God has called us into. And when we serve, right, this is my point here, when we serve, that's when we begin discovering this calling that God has called each and every one of us into. And when we serve, opposition will sometimes come. You're going to feel tired and be like, no, I don't want to do that. Or, or I, I, you know, I, I, I prepared and I, I sang this song or, or I served in this public way and look at all the opposition I got or look at all the negative feedback I got and, and this, that, and the other. And maybe you're like, but maybe God has not called me into this. And you will get opposition at times. But we need to understand who is the one giving us feedback. If we know the person giving us uh, negative or positive feedback, if we know that they love us and that they are for us, then yeah, we need to humbly listen to what they say. But if the person giving us feedback doesn't care for you at all and doesn't even know you, sometimes we just got to throw all that out. You know what I'm talking about? Just because you get negative feedback doesn't mean that God is opposing you. Look at Nehemiah. Did God call Nehemiah to lead the people to build a wall? Yes. Did he get opposition? Yes. We need to understand this as we walk into and discover this calling that God has called each and every one of us into. Now, think about this, right? There's, there's fear. As Nehemiah walks into this, and if, and if you have the calling, uh, this apostolic calling, there's always this corresponding fear that tends to tear the apostles down, right? So apostles are motivated by vision. They love casting vision. It, it compels them and it draws other people around you. But there's a common lie that tends to tear apostles down, right? There's a common fear. Look at John 21, right? When Jesus interacted with Peter, right? You think about Peter. He denied Jesus three times. Right? Even though he was so faith-filled, right? He definitely had a calling of an apostle. Um, right, he did, but he denied Jesus. And then Jesus, after resurrection, interacted with him. Right? Jesus, in John 21, 15, we read, When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
A lot of times we read this and we're like, oh, you know, what's the point of this passage? Well, oh, it's because, you know, Jesus asked him if he loved him three times. Isn't that often how we hear this passage? And it's true, right? Peter denied him three times and and, and Jesus affirmed him and said that he loved him three times. And yeah, that's true. But look at what Jesus calls him, right? Look at that. What did Jesus call Peter? Did he call him Peter? Or did he call him Simon? See the significance in this? Simon was Peter's old name. Peter was his new name. After Peter denied Jesus, after Peter denied Jesus, the lie that the apostle struggles with and the lie that Peter struggled with was, did everything that just happened, was it even real? Is my... Everything that I've been calling people into, was it, was it even real? Or did I make a mistake? Is Jesus real? Is ministry, is, is, is all, everything that I'm, is this real or is this not? That's the lie that cripples the apostle. As faith-filled as they can be, there's that corresponding double-edged sword that cuts them down. So look at how, I mean, so think about it. Peter denies Jesus. He goes back to fishing, right, what he knew before he met Jesus, before the calling that Jesus had walked him in. He goes all the way back to what he knew, and he's struggling in his heart. Is this even real? Did, did this even, I mean, why did I do this? I mean, what is the point of all this? And he's really wrestling through all this. And then Jesus calls him what he called him before <laughs> his new identity. He, he didn't call him Peter to remind him. No, he said, hey, Simon. And this is brilliant by Jesus. Jesus isn't saying, oh, you know, this is not real. I can't believe you did all this. No, Jesus is actually saying, hey, Hey, Simon, Simon, because he knew that would get Peter's attention. Simon, I know what you're thinking right now. I know the lie that you were dealing with. I know how you were doubting every single thing that had just happened. But Simon, and then you see in the following verses how Jesus calls him back to himself. Have you ever been here? In a place after messing up, you're in the pits doubting everything that just happened. And you're wondering, was this even real? If you know what I'm talking about, then perhaps you have the calling of an apostle. If you don't, and you're like, no, I never struggle with that. That's never anything that, that comes across my mind. Then maybe in the next four weeks, uh, it's another one of these callings that God has called you into. But I know there are some of you here who are like, yeah, I totally get that. And if that's you, then perhaps you have this apostolic calling. I'm going to leave with uh, this, this paragraph here. Let's look at it on the screen. I love this because it, it just fits so well when we, look at, uh, the, the, when we look at these callings that we are addressing. Okay, so we are not all called to be pastors but we're all called to care. You see that? Don't ever use this, oh, no, I'm an apostolic calling. I'm not going to do any of this other stuff because I just want to function in the way that God has designed me. No, no, no. That, <laughs> no. We are all called to care whether or not you have a unique call 
to be a pastor or a shepherd or not. Hey, we're all called to be teachers. We are, we are not all called to be teachers, but we are all called to hold out the truth. We are all responsible for learning how to listen for God's voice, something that comes more naturally for the prophet. We are all called to share the good news with others, but this takes all those who are not called to be evangelists, and we are not all apostles, but must all learn to walk out into what God calls us to do. Yes, we're going to be honing into each and every one of the callings every single week, but I hope this paragraph makes sense. Yes, there is a unique calling God has placed on your heart, but hey, we still need to live out. We still need to walk in our relationship with the Lord. And I love what the, uh, this, this other author said. It's not so much a matter of having a gift as of being a gift. Right? So don't, as much as we're looking at this and you know, sometimes we're going to be a little bit more introspective over the next coming weeks, let's strive first and foremost of being a gift more than worrying about what gift we have or what calling we have.